an easy task or someone easy to overcome. This is a definition of something that also happens to be the film I watched this week. That's right. For the very first time ever, I watched Duck Soup. What is up, everybody? Welcome to Clear Tinted Classics, the show where I, your host, Jake Ryan Baker, watch classic movies for the very first time and give my nostalgia-free opinions on them. And today is, you guessed it from the title, I'm sure, a very special episode. I'm joined by a guest, my friend Tyler Hanford, is in the studio with me. Hey, Say hey. Hello. hello. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's always just so much better having a guest than just sadly staring at a computer monitor while I talk to myself. Uh, so it's always nice to just have somebody here to bounce off of. So I'm, I'm so glad you could join me. Yep. Um, so Tyler, I, uh, know from the Fort Wayne theater scene, we did a film together. The only film I've ever gotten into a film festival until recently <laughs> Tyler was in. So, you know, uh, good luck charm yeah. there. Uh, but that was a lot of fun shooting that. Um, but yeah, I wasn't, um, open to hearing anything about yourself, but you know, I'm especially interested in like your theater career and your acting career and your just uh how involved you are in the filmmaking world and, and just films in general like um you know i i feel like i should be especially since this show is so nostalgia oriented like yeah. i i really should be asking people more about like what their life was like like growing up with the films like say in my household neither of my parents are like huge film buffs so this is that's why this whole show came about is like i'm retroactively trying to like see all these films that maybe I should have seen growing up. In my house, it was all just like family comedies and Adam Sandler movies and Disney <laughs> movies and shit. Yeah. But kind of curious about like your background as far as that, like growing up was like that. But yeah, I just threw a shitload of questions at you. Feel free to tackle them in any order that you want. Uh, well, I'll start from the beginning, I guess. <laughs> uh, I mean, we're like one year apart. I think you're a year older than me. Mm -hmm. And like we grew up in like the heyday of Disney animation. Yes. Like all of those. Sort of the revitalization, really. Yeah. Like the Little Mermaid came around at a time where they were kind of treading water a little bit. Yeah. Then they had that smash hit. Then they had Aladdin. And yeah. then they had The Lion King. And Beauty and so, the Beast. And yeah. So that all just started kind of like, I mean, there was, there was a different version of the world where Disney gets bought out like in the late 80s and is not the juggernaut yeah. that it is today, which is kind of wild to think of because they're so ubiquitous and huge now. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they control Marvel. And I was just joking with friends last night because we were scrolling through Netflix and I was like, yeah, Netflix is like when Disney decided to make their own streaming service, ne Netflix definitely got uber fucked yeah. when they decided to do that because they used to have all the Marvel and Disney stuff and now they obviously don't anymore because Disney just takes it for their own service. Yeah, and um, like Peacock and Paramount. Yes, yeah, I mean Peacock took The Office, which is another Netflix yeah. staple for people. Uh, I don't know. It's I like, think Friends is on HBO Max. I think probably. I mean, any service that and Netflix is. Yeah, we were we were having a long conversation about the the state of Netflix last night, which is just wild because they are kind of the they they brought about this current streaming era. They were the tip of yeah. the spear, and now because it's they were so wildly successful they've almost inadvertently fucked themselves yeah, because they created their competition <laughs> yeah all the people that they used to host are now like well why don't we just make our own yeah. service <laughs> and now there's a billion services and it's like literally this weird vicious cycle where it used to be you just you know 
get direct TV or cable and you yeah. have all the movies and channels. And then slowly but surely, cable started dying because all the streaming services started getting more popular. And now there's so many streaming services. Yeah. It's like now you have to subscribe to all this yeah. stuff. It's like having cable again, except yeah. you're subscribed to 17 separate things. Like I myself am, like, I've literally been trying to have a really hard think about like whether there's some streaming services I should cut out in my life because yeah. I just, I like having them all so I can watch whatever I want whenever I want, but I'm subscribed to like five or six different services and I have access to a couple more through family and yeah. friends. And so it's like, I don't know, it's maybe I'm spending way too much money on like Amazon prime and Netflix and uh verve for crunchy roll. And now I'm subscribed to dropout and I also have podcast Patreons yeah. that I'm subscribed to. It's just like, I'm like, Man, I might be spending way more money than I realize. But so, were you trying to say like you grew up with the Disney films as well? Yeah, we had all the VHSs, mm -hmm. and when like we're a generation the clamshells. Yeah, the sure we we grew up with home video, and like the generations before us didn't have that as much as we do now. We have, right, we had VHSs, we had DVDs, Blu-rays, and then streaming came out, mm -hmm. and like in like ten years, when kids these days are in college. They're going to have so much more experience with different films because they have everything at their grasp. Yeah, yeah. That's a very good point in terms of like in the 90s, it was just kind of like what you could get on home video. Yeah. And that, I, and a lot of people, I, it's always, cause I, I, I like reading books about like behind the scenes Hollywood stuff. Yeah. And I love like my favorite era is like the 70s pretty much, mm -hmm. like very late 60s to like the very early 80s that like i like i was just talking about one of my favorite books it's called like easy riders and raging bulls which kind of uses those two movies yeah. to book in the rise of the auteur period in america yeah, i think i've heard of that one um it's a very good book highly recommend it if you like film stuff at all um but uh back then it's like they didn't have home video yeah. like if you were going to make a sequel to friday the 13th you like either had to get a copy of the film reel or just kind of hope you remembered it well yeah. enough. Like it's kind of wild nowadays. You can just pull whatever up and, you know, and film preservation's actually been a really hot button topic for some people where there's, I mean, there's hundreds of movies that have been lost yeah, to time. They're just gone forever. Yeah, it's amazing. Like they weren't preserved. So you're just like, well, well, it's gone. It's not available anywhere. It's like maybe one guy remembers it <laughs> <laughs> or hopefully maybe it made it to VHS at some point and you can get like a shitty rip of it. But yeah, yeah it's like so funny. Like, some of these like criterion restorations mm -hmm. hinge upon the them preserving film reels yeah. like Wong Kar Wai is like one of my favorite directors and he just put out a new remastered criterion collection of his films and mm -hmm. one of his films is just apparently missing a segment because it like got burnt up yeah. or something and it's just like whoop it's just gone the film dissolved or something yeah like or maybe it was in a fire i don't even know like it was in his basement and there was yeah. like a fire or something and i can't even remember what movie it was but I was watching like uh, Red Letter Media and they were talking about how there used to be this alternate cut of this one movie, but the film reels got lost and so that it can never be restored yeah. or anything. Like they could have maybe made a director's cut like 20 years later, but the film's just gone. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and it's like, I don't know. Uh, did you have like, so for me growing up, like there's literally like home videos of me watching the Robin Hood Disney movie. And I know Little Mermaid and Little Mermaid and the Robin Hood ones were particular favorites of mine. Did you have any like that you remember from your childhood that you're like, this was like my favorite Disney movie? I mean, I don't, I don't know if I had favorites, but like Aladdin, and mm -hmm. Lion King, sure, those are big. Beauty and the Beast, a little bit less. Yeah, it was still. 
I think the Lion King maybe more than any of them like holds up yeah. the best. Maybe uh, it's just like such a solid story. You can't really poke too many holes in it. Oh, I mean, you base it off of Shakespeare. It's kind yeah, of hard. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, it's just, it is funny. Like uh, I did a Pan's Labyrinth for the show recently, yeah. and you know we were talking about the Disneyfication of fairy tales and stuff like that, and how Del Toro was trying to kind of. Because like the grim fairy tales that a lot of this Disney the Disney stuff is based on were very dark, yeah, and they like made them palatable for children. And then you, you so when it, weirdly like retroactively you watch something like Pan's Labyrinth, which is very dark and gory and yeah. bloody, you're like, what the fuck? I thought this was like a fairy tale. Where <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, no, this is how it used to be. And then Disney did it a different way, and now you're used to that. But I'm taking it back. This is like, um, but yeah, so. I mean, were your parents like big film people or have you, did you discover like, I mean, I like, so something like we'll get into duck soup specifically later, but you know, that's a very, I mean, it's a very old movie. Yeah, it's very rant. I mean, you'd have to like, this is something you'd almost have to seek out. Yeah. Uh, so like, do you seek out lots of different films or is it just kind of like when, maybe when you were in college, you were just kind of watching more stuff. Like I, I find that's a time when a lot of people start widening their scope a little bit yeah college had a big influence on my current taste in movies mm -hmm. like my mom watched movies all the time my dad grew up in a very small town in indiana demott indiana mm. it's like in the region an hour out of chicago so he didn't really have a lot of movies a lot of places to go to see movies mm -hmm. like his favorite movie is hoosier hoosiers and like forrest gump yeah hoosiers is definitely one of my dad's favorites yeah. as well i mean that's a real dad movie, especially if they if they're sports fans. Yeah, small town, Indiana town. <laughs> yeah, uh, basketball team wins state. It's right <laughs> up his alley. Sure, it's a good movie yeah. though. I I don't bash Hoosiers. Like I I actually think it's a good movie. It, it is just funny how Indiana dads fucking love Hoosiers. <laughs> like it's like uh, I was gonna use slam dunk, but that's a, ter <laughs> a terrible pun. Uh, <laughs> but um, I'm curious because uh, you're involved in the theater community. Uh, here in Fort Wayne, and I assume maybe elsewhere you've done shows. Uh, no. <laughs> no? Well, <laughs> well, or Kendallville, if that counts. Sure. I, I did mean, one up there. Yeah. Uh, how does that... So are you are you like a big theater buff too, or is it more just like that's the best way to like get like acting work, or and I'm kind of curious, like do you love plays and musicals a lot, or is it just kind of like, well, I like acting, yeah. so I do theater, so... It, well, like with Disney movie, it's a musical. Yeah. So that I, kind of... Uh, branches across but I actually got into acting because my mom did acting in high school oh wow and for the longest time she like she had my sister and I so she didn't do, really do anything and so my mom like made a pact with my sister who really wanted to get in the stand-up oh. she said if you do a stand-up set I'll audition for this musical in Fort Wayne oh wow and my sister did it my mom did not think she was gonna end up doing stand-up <laughs> so she's like well I gotta go go do this now wow so she did a musical at the Civic a play at the Arena Theater and then for Mother's Day in 2014 she was like you're gonna audition for this this musical <laughs> with me and I did show choir in sixth and seventh grade okay and I did the musical in sixth grade so I kind of knew what I was doing yeah and so we went to audition Everybody who auditioned ended up in the show. Okay. It was a small cast and not a lot of people showed up. So I well, thank you for those who didn't show up. <laughs> hey, so, however you got to get in. Yeah, I did Dirty Rotten Scoundrels and then uh, Ruben Abba 
who was in that show, directed The Mousetrap, which is an Agatha Christie show, a play. So he cast me in that, and then I just caught the bug. Sure. So, like, that was summer before my last year at Ball State, and I went to school. That year, I had a great professor who got me into these old movies, Wes Gehring. Okay. He's still there. I looked him up this morning. He's still teaching at Ball State. (laughs) Cool. And he literally wrote the book on Depression-era clowns. Wow. Charlie Chaplin, Buster Keaton, Red Skelton, um, Carol Lombard, who's who's more... uh, screwball but she's from fort wayne so was he more of a was he like a film teacher or? yeah he was a professor so i mean were you taking film classes in school yeah i taught uh, he did like a world film history and some other film history class. okay cool and it was like a three-hour class on mondays where he did <laughs> a little lecture and then we watched a movie that had to do with the lecture okay that's not bad i, I hate lecture classes but if you throw in a movie that yeah. sounds fine to me uh <laughs> and like he was so excited because he loved what he was teaching. Yeah, and that's great. I really appreciate those teachers who just don't go, they get a lesson plan, they steal it from somebody else, and yeah. they just give it to us. Mm-hmm. But if they're passionate about it, I love it. Yeah. The teachers, I mean, I'm like, I'm not going to go down the whole rabbit hole of like education and public education and <laughs> how much teachers matter and how yeah. undervalued they are, but college was definitely the point where I was like, oh, having a good professor can make the entire difference between like being engaged with the subject or not. Yeah. Like I could, you could have had the most boring subject, but if the teacher had a good spin on it, it could be great. And then I had classes that should have been amazing, but I had like kind of a dud of a teacher and it was just like, well, it was just kind of like put your head down and get through the class yeah. just to get your damn credit. But you know, I still remember like Erwin Mallon, Daisha Charlesworth. Like these are formative people for yeah. me. Like, especially I don't talk about her enough, but Daisha was like, I very uh, I took a lot of her classes like when I was in college like I was taking classes that were like way above what I should have been taking just because she was teaching them and I just wanted to be in her class like I was like in my second or third year taking like 500 level classes because I'm like well Daisha's teaching it I want (laughs) to learn more from Daisha and I definitely like I I should she definitely like opened my eyes to like uh, I talk about it a lot on this show because like I approach film especially through like more of like a feminist critical lens and that was like definitely from daisha's classes like men women and media and like studying gender and gender politics like the way because film is very reflective of you know even if it's not specifically written into the text it's just reflective of society in general and we we see ourselves on the screen reflected back at us and all that good stuff and you can just learn a lot from studying the way we portray things in media because you know that also has an effect on you know uh the culture like what we're what we're seeing does affect us you know i was just it's like kind of small but like there's a podcast i really like and they were talking about their favorite like manga Mm -hmm. and they were talking about this manga called slam dunk which is about basketball and it was wildly successful manga and basketball just as a sport took off in japan because everyone loves slam dunk slam dunk rules now i want to play basketball 600 percent like increase in like basketball club attendance like these things can affect a culture you know i mean jaws like how many people are afraid of fucking sharks now (laughs) when you know like you people that love sharks they'll throw out stats like you're way more likely to die from a shark there's only like seven shark attacks a year sure yeah (laughs) yeah i mean more vending machines fall on people than sharks (laughs) kill people but like people are fucking terrified of sharks now because that one movie um it's just kind of wild but 
Uh, so does your experience with theater, I mean, does that change how you view film at all? Do you, do you keep those two worlds separate in your head or, I mean, like how does that kind of all meld together for you? I mean, having done acting for like six or seven years now, Mm -hmm. I definitely view it more from like a behind the scenes angle. Sure. Like how did they do that? the emotion that the actor has to bring into the role. Yeah. Like what kind of techniques do they do? What are they, what's going through their head? Mm-hmm. Like, are they like when they try to cry, what are they thinking about? Yeah. Like, are they trying to get into the head of the character or are they just using previous experience in their life? Right. Like what's really going on? And like when I was a big fan of animation, like going into school, I wanted to be an animator. Okay. Ended up screenwriting. So it's, same vein similarly yeah yeah i mean every a lot of again another very uh uh under loved uh profession is writing like everything you yeah. see somebody wrote that mm-hmm. generally unless it's like extremely improv heavy yeah. which you get that sometimes but even then they still tend to have a loose structure yeah. you know every commercial you watch every tv show you see Somebody wrote that. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, in animation, it doesn't seem like it, but obviously the scripts for that have to be so tight because, like, animation is so expensive. Yeah. So they need to know what they're doing. They can't just animate random shit because that's going to cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. Like, scripts for animated films are maybe more important than anything. Yeah. Like, I know these days they can, like, make the models and they get the rigs and yeah. stuff and you can kind of go from there. Uh, but you know, I also just, I miss 2d animation yeah. a lot. It's just why I still love a- anime so much. And I'm really glad sometimes when like, there's still like anime movies that come mm-hmm. out and do pretty well. Like one of my favorites, your name uh, from a few years ago and his follow-up weathering with you. I actually really like that movie too, but I know that demon slayer movie apparently did like gangbusters. Uh, it's like kind of like, well, People still like 2D animation. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like Princess and the Frog came out. Yeah. After Disney. That, that seemed done. like the death knell for Disney doing 2D. I mean, I loved it. I thought it was received well. That's actually on my like short list of stuff I really need to do for the show. Because yeah. that's like one of the few Disney movies I've not seen. Yeah. It wasn't just like, it's just the time. What's like a 2009 movie yeah, or something, something like that. that. Just weird age for me. Yeah. That's like that. There's like a period between like, I think like 18 and like 24 where you're like, that's those movies are for babies. Yeah, like and I still <laughs> haven't seen either Frozen. <laughs> I love. I do love Frozen, the first one. I, I, I liked it, and then like we were doing a movie night at a friend's, and mm-hmm. he picked Frozen randomly. Uh, former guest of the show, Andrew, on the Tank Girl episode, and like just watching it with like this like adult eye yeah. was just like, wow, this movie's like really good. Actually, mm-hmm. there's a lot of subtlety to the characters that I don't think people appreciate, and it's. It's an instance of a film that was just so wildly popular that I think things kind of swung around on it and people yeah. kind of turned on it a little bit because they're so fucking tired of it. <laughs> like, and if you had a if you had a kid around that time, yeah, you just couldn't escape it. And so, people, like, so people like hate let it go and all that stuff. It's so <laughs> over marketed, I think. Yeah, and it's like there's movie that happens like you know I was just uh, having watched like the Suicide Squad recently. Mm-hmm. It reminds me a little bit of like. I really liked Guardians of the Galaxy when it came out, but it feels like it just got so much hype behind it. And it's yeah. not that I don't think it's a good movie. It's just like so fucking hyped and yeah. overhyped. And it's like, can't escape Groot and like <laughs> little Groot toys and, and stuff. And it's just like, but I, I genuinely think Frozen is a good movie. I, I'd say 
Gun to My Head, Moana is definitely like in my top Disney movies yeah, like, of all time. Yeah, I did see that one. That was a good one. Uh, I, I saw that in theaters by myself, and I was just like fucking floored <laughs> by it. Like every time I watch it, I'm just like, it's just such a well constructed movie. Um, like as cynical as I can be about Disney, sometimes like when they nail it, they really nail yeah. it. Like um, I'm kind of I saw a trailer for like one of their new films. It's like about this family where they all seem to like they're not like superheroes but they mm-hmm. all seem to have like some sort of like supernatural ability except for like the main woman she's like kind of normal i can't remember what the fuck it's called i think it's like but the adams family no <laughs> it's like they're all like they're all like spanish it's called like what is it called well, i think i've seen it. i don't know. yeah a trailer for it randomly popped up on youtube and i watched it I was like, this looks good i like this like i'll go see it i didn't see luca yeah but, I, I, I saw coco like last year i think when disney plus came out oh really i've heard that one's really good it is the music is great um but i I haven't seen the good dinosaur i don't think you're missing out (laughs) i think that's like that's like kind of the beating stick of like our people are like oh good dinosaurs like it's not even like it's a bad movie it's just the most mediocre movie that ever mediocred uh but yeah i agree with you though when you're talking about like once you get a taste of the behind the scenes it's really hard to like I still, I still can allow myself to be swept up in a yeah. film, and I definitely feel the emotions of film, and it can get to me. But at the same time, I still there is a part of me that's like examining it from like a filmmaking standpoint. Mm-hmm. Like we were watching a show last night, and there was just this really weird shot where the guy's like, "And you just need to sign this contract." And then there's a shot of the contract; it's like out of focus, and it like dramatically rack focuses to the contract. And I was like. <laughs> That was a weird shot. Yeah. <laughs> I, guess I said that out loud, and both my friends were like, "What?" And I was just like, "Ah, oh, nothing." Just, I just thought that was weird. Like it was unnecessarily yeah. dramatic. <laughs> like once, once you've started analyzing some aspect in your life, you can't not yeah. analyze it anymore. Yeah, it's it's like I, I do think I always thought maybe that would ruin like horror for me. Yeah, but I don't think it has. Like I'm still pretty susceptible to that kind mm-hmm. of stuff because in my head I always thought like. Well, I know it's just people with a camera, like yeah. a girl, like in scary makeup or whatever. But I don't know. I, I still can get swept up in stuff and feel the dread or whatever. Yeah, like, have you seen uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre? The yeah, original? yeah, I've seen the original. Is that not supposed to be a comedy? <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot of feelings about that movie. I, uh, I, I just, uh, I honestly don't think it's that good. Yeah, uh, but it is like. It's, I mean, I'd say it's like, in a weird way, there's parallels between it and, you know, Duck Soup that we're covering for the show and that some of the appreciation for it is that, well, you know, this was a defining thing, yeah. like a, like a, this set the precedent and maybe things have evolved and like, you know, I don't, I don't think Texas Chainsaw Massacre holds up that well. Um, I like the way it looks. I love anything shot on film, yeah. you know, I love the way it looks, but like, the entire third act of that movie is just like a girl screaming yeah. the entire time. It's so abrasive. And like, I hate to say that because sometimes I'm like, well, maybe that was the point, yeah. you know, maybe it was supposed to fray your nerves and that's how it gets under your skin yeah. or whatever. But I was just like, this is, I don't know. It's weird. It's like, it's like, you know, and I, but I appreciate the work they did. Like I hear the behind the scenes stories all the time. Cause they really were out there sweating their ass off yeah. day after day. Like, really gross story about the guy that was playing uh Leatherface like they weren't washing his clothes oh, ever and they said this is so gross to say but I read the story so 
Uh, they said when at by the end of the film, he, when he took his pants off, they could stand up on their oh, own. God. Oh. <laughs> it's, it's so gross. Like I think it's like you literally you can read stories of people were like kind of staying away from him because they're like you fucking reek, dude. <laughs> like we cannot. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, I appreciate it for the classic it is. I appreciate it for the precedent it set, yeah. but it's not like a movie I'm personally returning to. Like, I'd much rather watch something like Midsommar. Yeah. Or, you know, even like, I, I actually kind of like, I have a weird appreciation for the Friday the 13th movies. I just, they're not very deep, but I do find yeah. them pretty watchable, most of them. Like, we, I binged like, the whole series at one point after having never watched any of them. Yeah, I tried to recently, but I couldn't find yeah. all of them. Yeah, like I, I, I saw like I was at Walmart in the, they had like the first nine or something, or no, it's the first eight. Yeah, I think it's the first eight. They just had the first eight for like twenty bucks, yeah. and I was like, sure. And I genuinely, my opinion on Friday the Thirteenth is weird in that I find every single one of them watchable except for number eight. I think eight is a pile of shit and I hate that movie so much, which is just a, such a, it's such a weird take to only have one particular movie that you hate of an entire 10 movie series. Mm -hmm. When, especially when 10 is like Jason in space, which is like absolutely <laughs> stupid and ridiculous, but it's so over the top. It's funny. Like there's a scene where he's got like two girls in sleeping bags and he's just like bashing them both against the trees and you just can't help but laugh. And like, it feels like the movie's in on the joke. Is but, that Jason takes Manhattan. Is that the... uh, Jason make, takes Manhattan's number eight, which is the right, one that I yeah. hate. Uh, which it should have been good because it's like they're trapped on a boat with him. Yeah. Uh, which and that's the other part that's super stupid is they don't get to Manhattan until the last ten minutes of the movie, and like it's just him running around. But then like it's hard to. I'm not gonna go down. Yeah. It's a weird rabbit hole to go down. But yeah, I, I hot take. I think part eight sucks. And I, think, <laughs> I think all the rest of the Friday Thirteen movies are pretty watchable. Have you um, seen the Saw films? Mm, just bits and pieces of them. I uh, started watching them recently, and the writing is really good. Yeah, the first one, I think people really are like, no, but for real, this, this yeah. is like pretty good, actually. And then, I mean, it, it, it's gory, but the writing yeah. behind it. I think I just like, I, I unfortunately used to lump them in with stuff like Hostel, mm -hmm. where I was like, oh, this is just torture porn. But then, like, seeing little glimpses of it, I'm like, well, Saul seems a pretty self-aware yeah. and B it's not so much like the traps are fun and yeah there's gore and whatever mm -hmm. but it's more about like because the whole point is like Tobin Bell is like teaching them lessons yeah. they're fucked up lessons mm -hmm. but the, the only other part like one of the ones I've seen though is like the problem is if you like give me like an inch of like someone's like horrific backstory yeah. it'll just like really fuck with me so like two really big examples are the nightmare before elm street movies yeah. i think it's like the third or fourth one they just kind of go yeah freddy's krueger freddy krueger's mom got locked inside an insane asylum and like was just sexually assaulted by like a thousand people Jeez. and i was like well now that's just in my head yeah. <laughs> thank you like and they don't it's just it's like almost a throwaway line yeah but my brain can't help but like go like just empathize with someone in that situation mm -hmm. and they do something very similar in one of the saw movies where there's like this fat guy who like owns a hotel and it's like he's in this machine that like there's like these hooks that like stab into his eyes mm -hmm. can't believe we're talking about the saw movies during the <laughs> duck, duck soup, soup episode uh <laughs> weird where this show goes sometimes but it's like he needs to, he needs to press a button to stab his own eyes out yeah. or it's gonna like rip him apart mm -hmm. or whatever but then it's like just very casually like oh yeah women that stay in your hotel 
you kidnap them and rape them yeah. and then like that's your deal and it's like just kind of throw away i'm like well now that's just in my brain yeah. <laughs> there's just like dozens of women that have been murdered by this creepy yeah. dude and i'm just like great now i i just kind of it leaves just such a foul taste in my mouth and I, I always wonder like am i just someone who just hyper fixates too much and for other people that's kind of like because i assume what i mean what they're trying to do is just go look at this horrible fucked up thing you hate yeah. this guy now and enjoy watching him die mm -hmm. but for me now i'm just like thinking about like all the horrible stuff and it just like it just bums me out yeah. i guess like not in a good way i'm okay with like a bummer movie you yeah. know i love stuff like amor or martyrs or whatever yeah. um but those are two uh, two really weird movies to put together but they both like really fucked me up after watching them so that's why i put them together in my head but uh yeah uh wildly off topic yeah. i'd love to know um so i'm really i was really excited when you recommended this movie for a multitude of reasons because i'm woefully ignorant of like anything pre-60s pretty yeah. much like i just was talking to my friend john on the alphaville episode which will come out like should be out before this episode comes out so people will, hopefully will understand what the fuck i'm saying <laughs> uh but you know i like other than like casablanca which yeah. i do really really like mm. like i've not seen a lot of pre-60s movies um or pre-70s even really and i'm trying to correct that and that's like for a show that i call clear tinted classics i unfortunately do still kind of tread around in like the 70s to yeah. 90s shit um, and I've even done stuff as recently as like 2015, just cause like, fuck it. Why yeah. not? Uh, it's my show. I'll just do whatever I want. But, uh, I really should be watching. Like I've not seen, like, I don't think I've ever sat and watched an entire silent film. I've never seen any silent films. This is the first Marx brothers film yeah. I've ever seen. Um, I haven't seen citizen Kane. I haven't seen a lot of the French new wave, which is, those are more like sixties movies, but yeah. you know, like, Alphaville was is a French New Wave movie, and like seen like Alphaville, Breathless, and like Four Hundred Blows. Yeah, I've seen that one. But like fifties movies, and like, and this is a very weird time, especially for American movies, because uh, these are like studio system movies. Like yeah. I've seen stuff like Hail Caesar mm -hmm. that sort of like is a period piece, so I understand how the system works. Yeah. I watched like that Hollywood movie or that Hollywood What's show. There's like a show on Netflix yeah. that was like, I think it was just called Hollywood or something like that. And it sort of explains how, oh, these actors, they're not just, you don't just sign an actor for a movie. Yeah, they work them. for like a studio yeah. and the studio just goes, okay, we're taking you and you, and you're going to be in this movie directed by this guy who we also employ. Yeah. And this is like back when that system was in place. So like the Marx brothers, yeah had a contract with paramount yep. and paramount was making all these marx brothers movies until they had a falling out um so i have not seen a lot of these uh movies from this period yeah. where the and this is hayes code era stuff yep. Yep. uh which is also pretty relevant because they literally take shots at the yeah. hayes code in this movie um so and it's just like i was doing my best to read up on it as much as possible because i knew there was a lot of context yep. that i was missing like in terms of like I like I couldn't even like I meant to look it up, but like I wasn't sure where what wars had happened or were happening around this time. This is obviously taking big shots at war yeah. and like dictatorship and mm. stuff like that. And I also didn't know like like reading up on the Hayes Code was very informative and and things like that. And but I didn't know much about the Marx Brothers either, so I was excited that you recommended this. But is there a particular reason? Like a just 
like I'm curious what your relationship is with like this era of film and especially the Marx Brothers and then I'm specifically curious like why this film in particular was the one you were like because you were pretty quick to recommend it so I'm curious why that was well why this film in particular because I owned it so I could watch it <laughs> that's fair um, but like with the uh, Wes Gehring that professor I'm going to plug him as much as I can because sure. he's great if you're at Ball State and you can take a TCOM class take one of his classes mm-hmm. um like he introduced me into that silent picture area, the black and whites, and the like Chaplin and Keaton and Lloyd and mm-hmm. all those other guys, and I just loved it because of the slap, the slapstick, the pratfalls and everything. Because they were so ingenious at the time, whether they created it on the set or it's from an old vaudeville act that nobody knows anymore because nobody does vaudeville anymore, unfortunately. Because right. if if you do vaudeville, hit me up. I want to do vaudeville. <laughs> um, that's also what I try to incorporate when I do my acting. And when I do my writing, I, like, I try to team up with a friend to write a, like a Laurel and Hardy-esque play that's all like I'm a silent character and he's the wisecracking one like Groucho and Harpo are in the Marx Brothers. Sure. And it's, I just find it so fascinating because like Buster Keaton was all about machines and like he created so many elaborate mechanical stuff and put it in his film. And like Charlie Chaplin was all about heart and feeling mm-hmm. and he incorporates that into his gags. So it, it struck a chord with me, if you will. Yeah. I, I will say I've never watched like these movies, but you know, being somewhat plugged into the film world and being friends with people that are into film, I see, you know, like clips mm-hmm. of like Buster Keaton stunts and stuff yeah. like that. Like, and it is, very remarkable the stuff that he's like he's doing stuff back in the 20s that even today would still be pretty hard to fucking pull off yeah. and you know like having the balls to stand while a house falls down because yeah. you, you're like well i should fall through the window yeah. so <laughs> like you know and even just being smart enough to to run things in reverse so mm-hmm. it looks like you're just passing the tracks and the train is just not quite hitting you but you well know, that one that one's real yeah well uh, yeah, uh, there, it's an example. Yeah, yeah. I it. It was like I know they they did reverse film sometimes, sort of like, uh, and which is still a trick people use today, yeah. where it's like something that seems like really impossible. It's like, oh no, we just filmed it in reverse. Like, like there's a scene in Hook where the kid was like pointing a sword right at Robin Williams. They actually did it backwards. Yeah, so he wouldn't stab him, and he yeah. had to learn the line how to say it backwards. <laughs> That's crazy. Uh, but oh, what was I going to say? B- but it is remarkable and. You know, coming into this film, uh, I didn't know what the Marx Brothers deal was. Like, I just hear the term Marx Brother, and before this film, I probably would have, if you've been, like, gun to my head, been like, name the Marx Brothers. I would have been like, Groucho. Carl. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, Carl. He he had some weird thoughts uh, about political ideology, but, you know, also a great actor, I guess. Uh, (laughs) But... Like, I couldn't have named any of the other yeah. ones. Now I can. They're mm-hmm. very memorable. And, like, from what I read, the shtick that they do in this movie, that is, like, their shtick mm-hmm. in, like, everything they do. Yep. Like, they form these characters on their act. And, and they these kind archetypes. Of like, they, like, lasered in on this. So Groucho is the fast-talking, mm-hmm. like, wise-cracky guy. Zeppo is, like, the... Uh, the straight man. Yeah, he's, like, the straight man dude. And then Harpo's the silent, wacky, physical gag yeah. guy. And... Chico is like, 
he's Italian for some reason. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's like the one accent he could do, so he's going to do that one. Um, and so maybe this is a dumb question, but are they actually brothers? Yes, they are. Okay. Um, I know that obviously Groucho wasn't like his real name, but no. like was Marx their actual last name? It was their actual last name. Okay. And I have, this is part of my outline I brought with me. Sure. I'd love so, to hear some of it. Uh, Chico is the oldest. Okay. He's originally Leonard Joseph Marx. He got the name Chico because uh, it's Chicken Chaser is a name for a womanizer. So it's Chico, not Chico? Yeah, it's Chico because okay. it was originally spelled C-H-I-C-K-O. Okay. But some guy on like a pamphlet or on the marquee forgot the K, <laughs> so they just left it off. So it's pronounced Chico. It's cleaner. Yeah, and he's he, <laughs> it's, uh, not uh, foreign sounding, I guess. Yeah. Uh, he's like the charming, uneducated, and crafty con artist. He often plays Italian characters because mm -hmm. he, I think he had more olive skin. I think you can't really tell that in the pictures anyway. Yeah. Uh, he also played piano in like every movie except this one. Okay. And, uh, later in life he ended up with a gambling problem, which was throughout all of his life. And then he ended up leading a, like a big band and was the... Started the career of Mel Torme. Oh, okay. The Velvet Fog. Wow. Kind of like a Sinatra-esque. And then Harpo was originally named Adolf, but they changed it to uh, Arthur for uh, reasons unbeknownst to anybody, I think. <laughs> Nobody can understand that. I, I made like an Adolf joke like uh, on some episode. I don't remember when it came up, but... I was like, oh, bad timing. On, or so I said something like that, but someone was like, well, Adolf is like a very common name. It's like like if a guy named John Smith became like yeah. the dictator of America is basically what like Adolf Hitler. But it is funny, like you hear Adolf, you yeah. can't not think yeah. of Hitler now. Like, kind of ruined. He ruined the name. He ruined the mustache. <laughs> yeah. He ruined the swastika. <laughs> he ru yeah. ruined a lot of things. <laughs> but uh, Harpo is actually originally called Pinky because the wig he wears was pink. Oh. So in the vaudeville days, you could tell that was a pink wig. Sure. When they moved the film, they couldn't tell. So they yeah. changed it to Harpo because he could play the harp and did so in every movie except this one. <laughs> uh, he, uh, in real life, uh, became a member of the Algonquin Roundtable. If you know who they are, they're a bunch of New York uh, in intellects. I assume that, like, his silent character is a shtick. Yeah. Like, he's not, like, actually mute or anything. No, he's like not. That. Like, uh, I think I read during one of their vaudeville acts, their uncle was their kind of gag creator and showrunner, and he only had like three lines in the, the act, so he like, he complained, so his, act, his uncle's like, all right, you don't get any, you get to be a mime now, and <laughs> he was completely fine with that. Yeah, it is funny to think like, I don't know, I mean, obviously, you know, speaking of mimes and stuff like that, I don't imagine he's the first ever like silent character ever but it is funny to think like modern day takes on it like jay and silent bob yeah. or uh penn and teller i, I can't imagine they're not influenced yeah. by him i mean like even mr bean yeah yeah like, mm, christmas sucks 100 percent. Yeah. yeah he doesn't talk uh it's kind of a it's a really unique style of comedy yeah. too and it's like it does weirdly emphasize like the that you like because they're not talking you aren't like forced to pay attention to the mm -hmm. physicality of it which is which is pretty interesting and it's kind of interesting to think he's a silent character like as i actually going into this was like 
I don't think this is so old that it couldn't have audio, but I, I didn't know if this was a silent film or not. Yeah. Like, it is a pretty old movie. That's 1933. And, and so, like, when it first started, and then someone finally talked, and I was like, okay, they're going to talk. Okay, yeah. cool. <laughs> like, which I guess with Groucho's stick yeah. would be nearly impossible <laughs> to not do a talkie or whatever, but this is around that era. Yeah. Like, uh, again, I'm not, like, super well-read on, like, when... I, you know Chaplin obviously was originally like silent era yeah. stuff but he like eventually transitioned yeah, into did. like doing talky stuff um but yeah I don't know there is like a I feel like these days there is like a weird nostalgia for that stuff and like I never watch like the artist or whatever mm -hmm. but you know I, I find it interesting that you're talking about like oh I really want to like work vaudeville into like modern day stuff I, there's probably a niche for that yeah you know not a lot of people are doing it that's yeah. for sure um but it's also it's tough because comedy evolves so rapidly and it's like, you know, and I, I don't mean to tip my hand too much, but as far as like this film, like, you know, I read some reviews for it and people are just like, I'm just laughing my ass off yeah. the whole time. And I was like, I mean, I chuckled yeah. a, a few times, but I wasn't just like dying and yeah. crying while I watched this. But that's also just, everyone has their own unique sense of mm -hmm. sense of humor. Like, earlier in the show you mentioned like you really like the prat balls and yeah. the physical comedy and i do it's more of like i'm watching it and i like i i appreciate what they're doing but i'm not like busting it yeah. myself it's but, more like a yeah there's like some of the some of just i i think the parts that got me were the like particularly brutal parts like yeah. when the first time they like slapped the peanuts out of that one guy's yeah. hand they just did it so violently yeah. i was just like whoa <laughs> and i started laughing i was like jesus like uh but you know, but like all the hat swapping, I'm mm -hmm. like, this is funny and it's really well executed. Yeah. But I'm not like, like you know, laughing out mm -hmm. loud. But I mean, laughing out loud is like kind of hard for almost any film in general. Yeah. But you know, it's just it's interesting. I'd be interested to see like how it plays for people. Like that's part of the reason like that's doing the show is so fun is watching something with a modern eye and seeing like what works and what doesn't work, what holds up and yeah. like what comes through. So. Uh, like for you, not to uh, distract from, we get back to their bios real quick. Yeah. But like for you, I mean, is this a movie that you laugh a lot while you're watching, or is it? And and if so, do you have like maybe it's because some you have some nostalgia attached to it, or is it just this kind of humor really works for you? I think just this kind of humor works for me. Okay, that's really like, interesting. Like I think I would laugh a lot out loud more if like, I wasn't watching it by myself. When that's, like a, that's a good point watching in a movie theater they're going to pe be people who in their personality are just going to laugh out loud yeah so then you get laughing too because like oh this is funny i'm going to laugh along with definitely them. I, I think there is a lot it's a very very good point that you make in the sense that uh there's definitely a difference between watching this with people and watching this like by yourself like even just last night i'd already watched it but my friends wanted to watch the suicide squad again yeah. and so i was like yeah i'll watch it again i don't care sure and like there's parts where like because they were there i i chuckled when mm -hmm. i didn't chuckle the first time i watched it but i was like well my friends are here and that, this was kind of funny and then i like laughed or whatever so i think it's a really good point to make uh and i'm sure like if you watch this like in a class and stuff yeah. especially like in college when it's like oh it's just like stuffy lectures all the time and then all of a sudden you're watching something like this it's yeah. probably like kind of a nice release valve mm -hmm. um for people but yeah so we got harpo and we got Chico. Chico. So, so yeah. Groucho uh, got his name because he's kind of a grouch. Okay. And that's easy. His real name is Julius Henry. 
He's a uh, quick wit, stooped posture, spectacles, scar, grease paint, mustache, and eyebrows, which actually led, I don't know if you're aware of the, the Groucho glasses. Yeah, yeah. With the nose I never, and mustache. Like, I feel like when I was a kid, I knew what Groucho glasses were before I understood that that was like a reference to yeah. a guy. Yeah. Uh, like, I, I didn't realize that, like, and, you know, later I was like, oh, that is like an actual guy. Yeah. But it's also like you're so used to the exaggerated features of those glasses. Mm-hmm. It's it's like he does like he looks weird, mm-hmm. but he doesn't look like insane. Yeah. Um. So it's kind of funny because usually it comes with a big nose mm-hmm. too. Big nose and mustache. Yeah. And the mustache and the eyebrows obviously are very iconic. Yeah. Um. To the point where you could put his other brothers in that similar getup, and they do look remarkably similar. Yeah. One the, thing, <laughs> I, the uh, Chico. And Harpo look exactly like mm-hmm. out of costume and everything. And then Groucho and Zeppo look exactly like out of costume oh, and everything. And they actually used to like switch places and play each other's parts when they were in vaudeville. Oh, wow. And, like you put the glasses and the grease paint on Zeppo and he's Groucho. Huh. Wow. Like, you put the wig on uh, Chico and he's Harpo. That's really interesting. Yeah. And they, they taught, I read biographies of like all of them. Huh. So like they mentioned that, how they used to mess around with that. That's really fun. And like later in life, Groucho uh, did "You Bet Your Life," which was like a comedy quiz show that was on the radio, and then transitioned to television, which uh, was pretty famous. Now, okay. Uh, the final two brothers were Gummo and Zeppo. Gummo was originally in the troupe, but then he left to fight in World War One, and then just never came back to the troupe. He ended up uh, being replaced by Zeppo, and he was a theatrical agent and businessman. Okay. And Gummo got his name because he was always sneaking backstage like a gumshoe detective. <laughs> okay. Either that or because he was always chewing gum. I wasn't able to find a definitive answer. Then Zeppo was the baby. Uh, Herbert Manfred is his real name. Uh, Gummo's real name was Milton. Uh, Zeppo got his name probably because there was a chimpanzee at the time called Mr. Zippo. And Zeppo was always doing acrobatics and doing chin-ups and stuff. Hmm. Huh. So he's like, I don't want to be named after a chimpanzee, so we're going to name it to Zeppo. <laughs> okay. Also, Zepp is an Italian-American slang name for baby, and since he was the youngest, he got Zeppo. He was usually the straight man, and then after a while, I think uh, Duck Soup was his last movie he did with the brothers, and he became their agent, and he also invented the Marmon clamp, which is used to connect hoses. Huh. And it's used on like air aircrafts and spaceships and stuff. So wow, pretty successful. So that was really all the the five Marx Brothers. Okay, cool. Um, do you? I mean, do you do you feel like it's uh, their shtick all works? Like, so do these guys do movies without each other, or is it always they're always all together? The I think they've done a couple. Like, there are some that are more Harpo Chico centric, but I think Groucho's still in them. Okay. But. It's like, Groucho seems like the obvious, like, oh, he's like the star. Yeah. I don't know if it's just because, oh, he gets the most lines, or. I mean, in this movie, he is like the lead guy. Yeah, he usually um, is the lead. Like, I couldn't help but think, like, oh, I wonder if he went and did other movies by himself. Like, it seems like maybe that's. I didn't read up on it, so yeah. I didn't know, like, I just knew they. They were doing Marx Brothers films for Paramount, and I think Duck Soup was like maybe one of their last, last ones. One, yeah. uh, and I don't know what they did 
after that. <laughs> like, I assume they would still do movies. And Yeah, I think they uh, bounced around the yeah. production companies. Yeah, it's like really, really interesting existence and like what a really interesting time period. And they've obviously endured, like, even though I've never watched any of their films, like, I know who Groucho Marx yeah. is. I, I know the Marx Brothers. I know that term. Mm-hmm. Like, and so it's, uh, it was just really interesting to see, like, oh, they all have like a shtick. And then they, uh, like, I was watching a YouTube video that like really quickly ran through like some of the topics of some of their films. And it's just like interesting to see how they were able to take their, act but mm-hmm. like fit it into these different situations yeah um and I'll, I'll be interested to check out some of their other films um but as far as duck soup goes uh so you said you own it but i mean did how like have you seen a lot of marx brothers films i've seen horse feathers and like they have a bunch of them that are animal related animal crackers i think i've seen yeah it's like horse feathers animal crackers monkey like, business i think uh yeah monkey business like if i go on letterboxd like their top films are like the top film is duck soup yeah. um then there's like a night at the opera mm-hmm. animal crackers monkey business horse feathers a day at the races yeah. uh coconuts which i know was like their stage show that got popular enough that they kind of were able to take their broadway show yeah. and then get that onto the silver screen so they made like a film adaptation of their popular stage show which was coconuts like but if you like click on Groucho, it seems like he was in like a lot of films, but I don't know. I mean, I don't know any of these films, so I don't know what. I guess I, I'm seeing Marx Bros like at the top of a lot of these, but I'm I think sure he was he, a lot of cameos. Yeah, like well, here's like a movie like a a girl on every port, and he's in it, and I'm not seeing any of the other Marx Brothers in the cast, uh, so maybe he did kind of have some solo ventures, which makes sense to me. I'd be curious if he ever like wasn't doing the shtick though like it seems like i think it'd be pretty hard not to yeah i feel like there's like a these days there's so many like redemption stories for like washed out actors Mm -hmm. though you almost like expect that and maybe it happened and i'm just being ignorant but groucho seems like a character that's like he did the groucho marx thing like for a long long time and then he like disappeared from the business and then like 10 20 years later he like did a serious movie where he did like a serious dramatic role as like an older man and he wasn't doing the Groucho thing anymore. Uh, but I don't know if that ever happened. It just seems like something that happens with some actors these days. Like I know we're currently in the middle of like Brendan Fraser making yeah. a comeback and I was just was listening to some people talk about the wrestler and that was like Mickey Rourke's big comeback mm-hmm. movie after being kind of down and out for a while. Um, but so what do you um, think about Robert Downey Jr. and Iron Man? Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, he he really washed out for a while with you know all his drug yeah, stuff and issues, then, but then like he gets Iron Man and he's pretty much playing a slightly heightened version of himself, yeah. and now he's just one of the most well-paid actors in the world, mm-hmm. and he gets to be Doctor Doolittle <laughs> for whatever reason. <laughs> I don't know. Some people they just they need a lot of money. I guess. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it was fun. I haven't seen it. Uh, I like it wasn't very good. Yeah, it's like I I generally rely on critics to avoid stuff I don't really want to see, but I also I try to catch myself when I start trash talking something I haven't actually yeah. seen. Uh, but it's like by all accounts the movie is a dumpster fire. But I mean I haven't seen it, so maybe there's some like good parts to it. And Redeeming. That, yeah. Aspects. So I don't know. I had a friend, a former guest of the show, Taylor, uh, guy. Uh, she said she was like. 
high on like nitrous oxide at the dentist and they were playing it and she said it was like really getting to her and she was like feeling all these emotions so I was like, I don't know, maybe it's good maybe it's actually good people are just being mean to it uh or maybe you just need to be on nitrous oxide to watch it uh but put that on the box <laughs> if you're high the animals won't look like total shit uh yeah it's what a what a weird swing to like to the doctor do like yeah. and i know that eddie murphy's dr doolittle wasn't the original dr yeah. doolittle but it's like the, like i know he talks to animals in the movie but it's like a weirdly grounded movie still and then you see this trailer and it's like just this fantastical weird yeah. like just like, what a weird direction they took it in uh but i mean i think <laughs> eddie murphy's was more modern yeah i haven't read the original book yeah i don't what's like the original it's like a jerry lewis movie or something yeah, i think so uh another person who i've pretty much not seen anything he's done he was the original nutty professor mm. so am i confusing him did he do dr doolittle as well or am i just getting confused because he was a nutty professor originally i think he originally did dr doolittle as well wow eddie murphy's just yeah he's copying jerry lewis <laughs> it makes sense i i think they they kind of both were very like especially for the time like raw abrasive comedians yeah. like it, it makes sense that they would kind of uh, walk in each other's like path a little mm -hmm. bit uh, eddie murphy i love eddie murphy but you know uh yeah just, <laughs> I, there's not much to say it's like he kind of disappeared for a while and then he's kind of around again but not quite but there's really you, i cannot say enough about like so, his just raw charisma mm -hmm. especially like early in his career is just unparalleled he's so watchable yeah like the movie like beverly hills cop mm -hmm. like i i love that movie but you know when you read about it it's like it was originally supposed to be like sylvester stallone or something it's like so impossible to yeah. imagine that film without him because uh, i mean it's pretty bare bones basically a cop is trying to stop a bad guy yeah. but because it's eddie murphy it's like wow yeah. it's like it just crackles and works and like half the scenes that are a standout are just him improving mm -hmm. and yelling at people <laughs> like he's just that good uh i need to do 48 hours for this show at some point because i've never seen that which was like one of his very first films mm -hmm. it's like freaking 20 years old or some wow. shit and just like man that's always it's always rough to watch a film with someone that's so young but they're very talented yeah. and you're just like fuck you just want to be like fuck you like <laughs> what do we like i feel the same like with directors like when a young director makes something like really good i'm just yeah. like well what am i even doing yeah. <laughs> like like why is this 23 i watched shit house recently which is like this college kid made just like a coming of age rom-com it's mm. like not amazing but it's yeah. really good and he was like 22 when he made it and i'm just like well fuck me then yeah. right like uh, like i'm into <laughs> sports so i'm like you get to like 30 and you're on yeah. your way out yeah uh like what have i done with myself well it's also just funny to think like when i was younger like it's funny to think like oh this new rookie is just dominating and you're like oh yeah he's like 19 yeah. years old he's a child uh <laughs> but yeah so Let's get into duck soup. Um, I will say it's it's a little tough sometimes, especially you know having the guests recommend movies sometimes where if a movie isn't hitting me a particular mm -hmm. way, I don't want them to ever think I'm being too harsh on the movie. But just in terms of like you don't have to give any scores yet or anything like that. But like I mean, would you say this is a movie you really really like, or did you just think it was like an important movie to cover at some point? Because I, I there's some things I really liked about it. There's some things that weren't quite working for me personally yeah, i don't i don't know if marx brothers are my favorite comedy duo or comedy act of the time I sure laurel and hardy are more my favorite but is in laurel and hardy they're what the they're 
the infamous one is the who's on first, right? Is that's that the, Abbott and Costello. That's Abbott and Costello. Yeah. And Laurel and Hardy are they're uh, way out west. They're like the the really big guy. He's he looks he has the same like mustache as Charlie Chaplin. They both have bowler hats. Okay. Um Harley uh Hardy was from like Georgia and Laurel was from England. And Laurel is this kind of diminutive guy. He's okay. small and so and, and were they mostly movie people or were yeah. they vaudeville people? They as well? uh, started out with vaudeville. Okay. And went to movies. So I've heard because I've heard the name for sure, but I've not seen any of their stuff. Yeah. And I, I'm ignorant enough to get them confused with Abbott and Costello, <laughs> which uh, is yeah, terrible. Uh, okay, yeah, so more Laurel and Hardy. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they're good. The Marx Brothers are good at what they do, yeah. for sure. And it was really in- interesting to uh, have this be the first one I've ever seen, because uh, talking about the movie specifically, like, sometimes I do my preconceived notions on the show. I didn't, I knew fucking yeah. nothing about this movie. I just knew it was a Marx Brothers movie, yeah. but I knew fuck all about the Marx Brothers, so that tells me nothing. <laughs> you already heard me say I didn't know whether it was a fucking silent film yeah. or not. Because uh, right off the bat, you have this rich lady, Mrs. Teasdale, mm. and she's like, I will help Freesdale, uh, Fre- Fredonia, yeah. uh, but you need to install Rufus T. Firefly as your leader or whatever. And so there's all this buildup, mm-hmm. and I've never seen the Marx Brothers before, and so the way this movie works is kind of wild as an introduction because all this buildup, Everyone's being like kind of proper and mm-hmm. fancy. You have uh, uh, Trentino's there, yeah. and he's already like trying to. He's like, I gotta. He's like from so like the way that the, the the general plot of this movie is. There's this country called Fredonia, and there's this country called Sylvania, mm-hmm. and Fredonia is trying to maintain independence, but Sylvania. I don't know if Trentino's just the ambassador or the actual leader. Uh, uh, he's ambassador. Uh, he he wants to get Fredonia like for Sylvania Um, and so he's there already like plotting like I gotta just take out I gotta marry Mrs. Teasdale I'm gonna woo her and I'm gonna this this uh, firefly guy we're gonna get him out of the picture or whatever so there's all this political intrigue already and there's this big build up they're like he's gonna arrive right at 10 they do this big song Mm -hmm. and they're announcing that he's gonna come and then finally it like cuts to uh, Groucho Marx who's like in bed it does this really weird like fast forward thing yeah. <laughs> uh, and he slides down a fire pole and, and right off, he's doing like some funny gags right off the bat where like they're all waiting for him to come through this entrance and he kind of sidles up from behind and he's kind of like using his cigar as like a yeah. fake sword or whatever. Like they have but, to do it twice because yeah. he doesn't show up. And they, they, they do it like I think a couple, three times yeah. like they just keep doing the loop and he's like oh what are we, but he doesn't say anything really mm-hmm. and then like Mrs. Teasdale finally spots him and goes oh you're here and then like he's like instantly into like his shtick yeah. and I didn't know what his shtick was. And so watching this movie was like real whiplash. Cause I'm just sitting there like, okay, weird, proper Fredonia. There's this political intrigue going on. And all of a sudden he's just like, say, what do you do? Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And I was like, Whoa, I wasn't <laughs> expecting this. Like, cause I didn't know that was like his deal. Yeah. And so like, like a lot of the humor of the movie comes from the Marx brothers. They're all doing their, their bits, yeah. but they're surrounded by all this weird prim proper, mm-hmm like fake country politics and stuff and so like everyone else is still trying to act proper but groucho is just like firing off like 17 jokes a minute and just like rapid fire talking and i was like i was like really like thrown for a loop and finally i was like oh, okay this is like his deal 
Okay, cool, cool, cool. I have playing a little bit of catch up. <laughs> I have some quotes on here, and one from the introduction is when Firefly is kind of introducing himself to Teasdale. He's like, uh, not that I care, but where's your husband? And she's like, why, he's dead. Uh, I bet he's just using that as an excuse. Yeah, he's really, he, there's a lot of jokes in this where he's like roasting Teasdale. Yeah, for and <laughs> uh, uh, Teasdale is played by uh, Margaret Dumont, who is like basically the fifth or sixth Marx Brothers. Yeah, I noticed when I was seeing clips from the other films, she was like in a lot of the clips. Yeah. And I was like, oh, so they've used, she's been in like a lot of their movies. Yeah, she's in seven of them. And like, he goes on to say, uh, she goes on to say, I was with him to the very end. And he's like, no wonder he passed away. <laughs> like, I held him in my arms and kissed him. Oh, I see. Then it was murder. And he's like, will you marry me? Did you leave? Did he leave you any money? Answer the second question first. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and so right away, like just from a, like I, I get that, like, like it became apparent pretty quickly that I was like, part of what I do really like about this movie is, is the satirical bent to yeah. it where uh groucho marx is playing rufus t firefly who's uh, sort of our stand-in for like these like uh mussolini type mm-hmm. characters these political despots uh and he's like he's supposed to be a piece of shit yeah but it also it's really hard because it's like i appreciate it from the satirical standpoint but it makes it really hard to get invested in the movie because mm-hmm. right away i was like this guy's a fucking scumbag yeah. <laughs> like and i kind of i don't hate him because i mean he's he's like too charismatic to yeah. fully hate but you're also just like i mean i'm not rooting for this guy mm-hmm. like if, if, spoilers as i always say on the show spoilers for the whole movie but if he had gotten fucking killed at the end of this movie i would have been totally fine <laughs> it would have felt like he deserved it like the fact that they win i think from the thematic standpoint is actually good like uh message wise because it's like he's complete piece of shit sends everybody to their death and just still kind of trips into winning anyway mm-hmm. which is like the kind of weirdly bleak ending but it's like i was kind of like yeah just get shot you can die i'd, <laughs> I'd be totally fine with that like, well then that goes against i don't know if it's the Hayes code but there's like the code back in the day is the main character has to win you can't, can't have them die yeah uh i know the since we're talking about the Hayes code the thing that, that they brought they brought up in like the article i was reading was the horse gag yeah Cause it's like Hayes code. You couldn't show a man and a woman in bed together. So they were, they did. And it is a good joke. Like I like when they're panning across the shoes and you see the horseshoes. Mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, that's pretty funny. Yeah. And then they like just fully show the horse in bed with Harpo and the lady's just like kind of in the other bed, yeah. just kind of staring <laughs> at him. I was like, that's pretty funny. That wasn't, I don't think that was like a laugh out loud, but that was very much like a, mm-hmm. Oh, that was funny. Um, but yeah, he's, he's being mean to Mrs. Teasdale. Uh, and, and like the jokes are funny though. Um, and, and then, you know, uh, Trentino tries to insert himself mm-hmm. and, and Groucho's, you know, firing off on him too. And I think he's saying he has like a line in there somewhere where he's like, he's like there's one too many guys here and I think you're the yeah. guy. <laughs> so beat it or whatever. Uh, and so like, he's just, you know, and he is very like charismatic and watchable and, and like his fast talking and the jokes are good and they're well crafted. Yeah. Uh, and like, but it's almost like there's a point where it's like, and I think I see this in some of the reviews for it where it's like the jokes are almost too fast. Yeah. It's like, it's you can't even like laugh at one joke because he's already fired off like two more mm-hmm. before you can even like stop and go oh that was funny like which is cool but it's it is like the timing wise is it's a very unique style yeah. for sure uh but i appreciated it for sure he, he's funny um big gala uh i think 
So there's not a ton of musical numbers in this film. No. But I definitely got thrown when... Because I, I think the first one is she's singing. Mm. She, she starts singing about him showing up. Yeah. And then his, the pacing of it made me start to think there was going to be a ton of musical numbers yeah. because he shows up and they're like, what's your policy going to be? And then he sings a song yeah. about like, I'm going to outlaw pretty much everything I do, but not... But I don't count. And yeah. also, if anyone's doing anything bad, you need to make sure you pay me. Yeah. <laughs> and just really establishing that he's a full scumbag, like evil ruler. Like, you know, and I, I really, like, when I saw this movie, it was only like 69 minutes. I was like, holy shit. Yeah. Uh, but given how fast he talks, like, I get, they, they cram a lot in yeah. that 69 minutes. But it also is like, this movie is like, I appreciate that it's not fucking around and it gets right into it. Mm-hmm. But it's also like very little justification for why Teasdale is like, demanding that firefly be the leader of this country like she's seen like there's like a throwaway line where they're like oh she's really into him or whatever but it's like they're they're so back and forth and it almost seems like like when he's talking to her it seems like they barely know each other Mm -hmm. and so like the justification for why he's the leader makes no sense but it's a satire and uh, and it's murky it's really murky territory with satire right because it's like the fact that he's the leader, the fact that it makes no sense that he's the leader, it's kind of maybe the point. Yeah. Uh, so it's hard to say that that's a critique of the movie. It makes because, no sense why a lot of people are leaders. Yeah, it's like, well, he stumbled into it ass backwards for no reason, and it's like, well, that happens sometimes. Yeah. It's like, you, you get this incompetent leader. You know, I, I used to remember, there used to be a quote I enjoyed that's like, the most efficient form of government is a benevolent monarchy, but the problem is, like, if every if every decision's being run through one guy, mm-hmm. yeah, you can be efficient, and as long as they're a good person, it can work out. But the second it's a shitty person, everything's just fucked. Yeah. And you know, and this is definitely a real. I haven't seen the Great Dictator, but this feels like I would assume this movie is sort of like, you know, taking some cues from yeah, that they, film. They get compared a lot. Yeah, and surprisingly, uh, the Dictator, the Sasha Baron Cohen one. Yeah. The they are like from the same bloodline definitely um and i mean and it's good i mean it's like i read somewhere that it was like like groucho especially has seems to like waffle back and forth between saying yes this was an out and out political satire and then there's other quotes where he's just like we were just trying to make jokes i don't yeah. know like we're just four jews <laughs> trying to make people laugh yeah but then he also like i read that mussolini banned this film yep. and they were like fuck yeah fuck <laughs> mussolini so Obviously, they got some, you know... Under some skin. Yeah, and and it also is like, you know, I fully... I I believe that understanding the artist's intent is very important. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's like, you can... It kind of comes to the audience. You can't not read this as like a political, like, farce. Yeah. It's like, even if they really were just trying to do... And some of the gags are just gags. The mere gag, you're not really saying anything about Mussolini yeah. with the mirror gag. And it has really nothing to do with the entire yeah, like, film. They literally said like they lifted entire like gags from other things they mm-hmm. did and just kind of plopped them in this movie. And then that's like what they do. That's what Chaplin did. Yeah. Keaton. And again, that's not a critique. It's just, it, it's somehow the political stuff still does really yeah. shine through the whole thing. And it's part of what keeps it, especially because of how fast paced it is, mm-hmm. but it keeps it watchable because you're like, you know, you're watching this situation deteriorate because this shitty leader has been installed. And the reason they go to war is for purely personal, mm-hmm. like pedant- yeah, pedantic reasons. And like, he's re- just because he's petty, mm-hmm. like there people die. And you know, like it is like the, you know, I feel like I've been 
watching a lot of stuff lately that is like weird commentary on war and i've been it's definitely got me thinking about how much it's like uh, sometimes you just kind of want to ignore its existence yeah. but it's also like such a ridiculously over-the-top terrible thing that we just have accepted as reality yeah. you know with, so, now with america pulling out yeah the timing of the afghanistan stuff is is very prescient for sure and how we've just been fucking around over there for two decades mm -hmm. and people are like what why are things so bad there <laughs> like uh oh god <laughs> uh, like uh even though this is a political film i won't dive too deep into yeah. that but especially since it's such an evolving situation mm -hmm. who knows where we'll be like when this episode actually comes <laughs> out <laughs> but uh yeah like you know and i i do appreciate like what he's going for I, and i and i was able to it's and it i like the line i feel like it threads a good needle between being like i understand what they're doing satire of mm -hmm. but it wasn't so like incredibly on the nose that it was like eye rolling yeah they still are like because they're so dedicated to like you know what's happening in the film and and it's less about like this is a direct comparison to something that Mussolini did and yeah. we're making a commentary on that like one of the videos I watched was really interesting he was talking about the distinction between satire and mockery yeah. which is something I've never really thought too much about but satire is like meant to be more constructive and use the building blocks of the thing that you're making fun of whereas mockery is just kind of doing an impression of something yeah. like over the top and, and it is like you know, a lot of times I do uh, feel like, you know, I, I jokingly say satire is dead sometimes. Yeah. And part of it's because our world has become so ridiculous. It's almost gone beyond the point where you can even make fun of anything. Because, yeah. like, the thing that would have been satire is it's just real, real like, reality now. Yeah. Uh, and again, I'm not going to go down a big political rabbit hole because, like, all of my examples would definitely make certain people angry <laughs> so i'm not going to but it, it is like it's hard you know and so it, it's it is nice to watch something like this that's like wearing the satire on its sleeve and doing yeah. it so effectively especially when the world politics were so tumultuous back mm. then it feels very like it's very cool that they especially under the constraints of a studio in the Hayes code yeah. to make something that is still such a strong commentary yeah. like i really do appreciate that mm -hmm. about the film for sure uh but yeah they sing uh groucho shows up fast talking groucho sings so we already got to that so from there we we get to go meet uh uh chico, chico. and pinky who, yeah. are, who are playing uh Ch chicolini <laughs> yeah <laughs> and, and pinky uh uh uh, so I meant to say we meet Chico and Harpo, Harpo yeah. who are playing Chico, Lini, and Pinky. Like yeah. <laughs> uh, my notes literally just vary between saying Harpo, yeah. Chico, <laughs> Harpo, Pinky. Like Groucho. Some of my notes say Groucho. Some of them say Firefly. Yeah. They're they're pretty much like I do. The name Rufus T. Fly Firefly very funny. Yeah. Uh, the second she said it, I was like, it's a very good name. Mm -hmm. uh, it's very memorable. Rufus T. Firefly. Yeah. Even the T, it just like adds just a little extra, like, oof. Uh, <laughs> so, and when you hear his name, when she first says his name, not knowing where the movie was going, I was like, yeah. this guy's like gonna suck. Like, you can just <laughs> tell from his name. Like, it's such a, they did a really good job with that. Uh, but, so yeah, like, Trentino, uh, Ch uh, Chico and Pinky are like, they're supposed to be spies, yeah. Uh, but they're like incredibly incompetent. Mm -hmm. uh, 
and like and, and and a lot of the humor of the film comes from these straight-faced characters like Trentino yeah. and Mrs. Teasdale sort of like you know they'll respond to some of the gags yeah. but they're still just trying so hard to play it straight mm-hmm. and meanwhile like Pinky's just cutting people's fucking yeah. shit <laughs> with scissors all the time yeah. um so as far as like this stuff goes is there any like I mean this is like a long segment of them doing tons of gags yeah. like I don't know if there's any standout moments for you uh for this I mean the whole their whole feud with the lemonade vendor yeah yeah is the lemonade vendor is Edgar Kennedy who is famous for being in these comedies i think he's famous for a slow burn of how he the rage inside him just builds yeah. and builds and builds and like when they when he steals the peanuts and harpo keeps slapping him out of his hand yeah and then he just flips the entire peanut stand over and then harpo goes and steps in his lemonade <laughs> yeah well, uh, yeah there's multiple gags of like uh this peanut vendor um and the the very long sequence of them like exchanging hats and yeah. stuff is like every and the, you're right the guy that's playing the vendor he does a good job of like starts to get riled up and then they pull something else on him and he's like so distracted that he doesn't have time to like respond to that mm-hmm. and like so he's playing a really good victim but like my note literally is just like uh chico and pinky torture peanut guy because <laughs> they're just torturing this poor man uh but Tons of good gags with Trentino too, like cuts a cigar. Yeah. They do like a weird baseball thing where he's yeah. like, he runs and comes back. He's like, you're out or whatever. And they're, you can just tell immediately they're buffoons. Yeah. Uh, Chico talks with like a sort of like a, uh, we went to, the, we tried to go to the baseball yeah. game and then he wasn't there. Yeah. And then he went to the baseball game. Well, then we then know we show up. There. Then there's a double header. None <laughs> of us <laughs> went, but we listened to it on the radio. Uh, and the, it was shadow day. There's like a lot of little puns and yeah. stuff. Like like they um, invented dad puns. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, Pinky's got like all sorts of gadgets. Like the big thing in this film, and I don't know if this is in other films, but he's got a lot of horns. Yep, that, that's um, how he communicates. Yeah, basically. sometimes he uses the horns. Like he talks on the phone with the mm-hmm. horns at one point or uses it to like spray lemonade in the yeah. lemonade guy's face and all that stuff. Um, but so yeah, they got a lot of funny gags. Like the spy stuff doesn't, it kind of comes and goes. Um, meanwhile, Firefly, he has a big board meeting mm-hmm. like with his people. Again, just a ton of gags yep. like back and forth where we need to talk about the tax. Oh, yeah, yeah you but, do need to take the tax up when you put the carpet in, blah, blah, yeah. blah. And he's just firing off. He's just being incredibly rude to his board mm-hmm. people. Like One of them, I think, even quits, and he's just like, yeah. good, <laughs> bye. He's like, we need to talk about <laughs> tariffs. No, that's old news. That's any new news? I'm like, uh, nope. All right, let's talk about... Uh, no, that's yeah. new news. Let's talk about old news. Yeah, he's like, he's like, he's like, that's he's like, we're talking about old news now. T- that's not the tariffs. And the guy's like, fine. He's like, all right, no old news. All right, how about new news? Oh, I want to talk about the tariffs. Oh, that was that's old news. Yeah. Now <laughs> we're talking about new news. And he's just like giving everybody the run around. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize because I didn't know the Marx Brothers, but like I saw in the opening and when there was four of them, mm-hmm. and I didn't realize that Zeppo was his secretary yeah. until later in the movie. But Zeppo is around like mm-hmm. doing secretary stuff yeah. and he's like because the other characters in the film are more the straight men he's not doing as much of his straight manning in yeah. this film he's just kind of hovering around mm-hmm. like doing secretary stuff and occasionally he'll like bounce off groucho but he's not featured as prominently in this film as like the other three brothers yeah. and that's partially why he left yeah because he was referenced as the unfunny mark's brother uh well that's that's really rough because like if if people don't really appreciate or understand comedy too much you you 
there's a reason there's the term straight man yeah. is very necessary mm -hmm. without you can't just have everybody be wacky yeah because if there's no uh like to use a science term if there's no control group mm -hmm. then you don't really have anything to have a metric against yeah. like if everybody in this movie was as wacky as harpo was like harpo's gags wouldn't be funny yeah uh, so like like uh, i i had a feeling that maybe zeppo was like the overlooked brother yeah uh but it's like you need that character mm -hmm. uh, to bounce off of like especially if they're doing vaudeville shows yeah. it's just the four of them on stage if they were all just being wacky it wouldn't work as well chaos. i mean it's like even like every tr uh like duo and trio like usually there is a straight guy yeah like they're low and yeah. three stooges and abbott and abbott can still mm -hmm. yeah you have to like have a guy to bounce off of yeah. and their work is just as hard if not harder mm -hmm. and people don't really appreciate that and it's sad um because you have to like you know even even like sitcoms these days like uh Brooklyn Nine Nine, for yeah. example, like if the chief wasn't the way he was, mm -hmm. the other people's antics wouldn't work as well. Uh, if he was just as, like, and he gets to have his little moments yeah. and stuff, but if he wasn't like stone faced and like not giving them like the uh, an inch as far as when they're trying to be goofy, yeah. and he's just just like staring at them like, "What the fuck are you doing?" Like, but that's what's funny. Yeah. Um. So that that's sad. But Zeppo's around. Groucho's being a dick to his board. Uh after they get done torturing the peanut guy this is kind of where firefly he just kind of sees chico yeah. out there and he's kind of like hey why don't you come chat with me yeah. peanut guy i'll give you a job <laughs> and i noticed in one of the analysis i was watching it was talking about like i think thematically it does make sense that uh they're trying to say like oh he just gives board positions to his friends and stuff like that but they don't really do much establishing like again it's like why he likes chico or why yeah. he would want to bring chico under the fold he just sees him on the street but again saying that out loud i'm like maybe that's the point yeah. like it's just some random peanut vendor he's like you're the secretary of defense now yeah. you're in charge of my war council yeah. and the guy's just like i guess i don't know <laughs> he's like you're in charge of the mint it's like i'm not really a big fan of mint yeah. or whatever. do you have any other flavors yeah and then like harpo just kind of comes in at one point and starts answering the phone yeah. there's like a lot of phone gags he honks the horns mm -hmm. and stuff like that uh so yeah, now now Chico and Pinky are in the fold and they're just kind of it's a good excuse for them just sometimes they'll show up in scenes now yeah. and it's just kind of like yep they're here now <laughs> I guess I, I had a really hard time with the geography I kept thinking like Trentino was like off in Sylvania or whatever I think he um, but he I think he's just I think he is in Fredonia but he's just like an ambassador so he's just yeah. kind of around um so it, it's not I I left out some of the motorcycle gags yeah. like there's a lot of like Groucho gets in the sidecar and the motorcycle takes off with him and yeah. it all kind of culminates in the finally being the he gets on the motorcycle part and then the car I saw it coming a mile away yeah. and I was just like yeah that's that's funny like that's a joke where I'm like because they they hit that it's a classic three beat yep. like they hit it three times the third time he's not like no fuck this yeah. I'm on the motorcycle and I was like now the car is gonna drive mm -hmm. away and the sidecar drives away and I was like couldn't help but wonder like an audience person in like 1933. I feel like that joke hits really yeah. hard, but these days, because the three beat structure and just like seeing yeah. it coming, like I think because we analyze it now, yeah, we expect it. Comedy is so much about surprise, yeah. Uh, like that's why I, the parts I laugh out loud are like he just violently slaps the peanuts out of the guy's hands out of nowhere, mm -hmm. and it's so shocking that I go, "Oh shit!" <laughs> and like laugh. 
Whereas like the sidecar thing is like, yep, there it comes. Mm -hmm. Like we're so down the rabbit hole and twist and turns and subversions of like that you'd have to like triple layer that joke with something really unexpected, yeah. like like something like an anvil would like have to fall out of the <laughs> sky and crush him instead of like like the sidecar taking yeah. off. But back then I think that joke probably still works. Mm -hmm. Um I didn't know if uh let's see here. I just fuck with peanut lemonade guy, which we talked about a lot of stuff here about Groucho go. He, he's talking to somebody at some point. I didn't really understand this plot point that well, but like, I think his secretary or somebody like inadvertently goes like, Oh yeah. If you keep insulting this Trentino guy, you'll be able to go to war. And so it seems like Firefly is just kind of hell bent on like pissing this Trentino guy off. So he goes to this tea party and they get in a big fight. And he slaps him after Trentino like calls him an upstart yep. or whatever. He calls him like worm and then something else and then he calls him upstart. Mm -hmm. And it's like a gag that comes back later. And then meanwhile, Firefly seems to be trying to get with Teasdale, but sort of not, but sort of like yeah. he'll just like pretend he's interested in her sometimes. And she's like wooed by him, even though he's like saying all these terrible things yeah. about <laughs> her the whole time. Again, these characters are like being straight laced characters. Mm -hmm. So they're they do a good job of balancing like when the characters actually respond to something yeah. the other characters are doing like they're engaging with them a little bit but not enough to throw them off their character game yeah. they're still kind of taking everything super seriously it's like in the real life if Groucho was acting this way people would like be like what the fuck you're, yeah. you're talking the whole time like he even talks to camera a couple times yeah. but as far as like some of this big middle chunk of all the political machinations and stuff is there anything that super stands out for you here i mean that it's not a gag full scene yeah so it doesn't really stand out as much yeah going to war um and from here we kind of uh trentino says you need to get the war he tells chico and pinky they need to get the war plans yeah and so and i haven't mentioned her but there's also a character vera in this yeah. movie who's like kind of working with trentino they really set it up in the very first scene that she's going to be like her job's going to be like to seduce Firefly yeah. or whatever, but never really kind of comes into play much in the film. She's just kind of around sometimes. Yeah. Uh, but she, she does end up letting Chico and Pinky like into the house, mm -hmm. which again, I didn't realize like I, it made it sound like uh, Firefly and Teasdale were in like different places, but I guess they're in the same building just in like different rooms. I was kind of confused because I thought that Chico and Pinky had snuck into Teasdale's house, but then they go into uh, Firefly's room at one point. Yeah. And I was like, okay, so this is all the same house? What the hell is going on? And then all the gags happen where they're dressed up as him or whatever. Yeah. So they, they lock Firefly in a bathroom. And yeah. so uh, Pinky and Chico, uh, they dress up like Firefly. So Separately. They, yeah, they both independently decide to do this because they almost end up screwing each other's plans up. Mm -hmm. But they go talk to Teasdale, and they're both still doing their character shtick, though. So she's like, why are you talking with an Italian accent? He's like, I think I might have to go to an Italian, <laughs> Italian sometime. Uh, practice my accent. And she's like, oh, it's so good. <laughs> uh, and I'm just like, <laughs> and then like, uh, Chico sees Pinky come in when she doesn't see her. He hides under the bed and Pinky's doing his like silent shtick. And she's like, oh, you won't talk to me anymore. And blah, blah, blah. And uh, a lot of back and forth or whatever. But, and then Groucho comes in. Yeah. And then Groucho comes in and he's confused because. At this point, Pinky's made off with the safe codes, mm -hmm. and I think Chico's hiding under the bed, maybe. Yeah. And she's like, "Oh, you're gonna get me a glass of water." He's, and he's doing his like he's back to being mean Groucho again. Uh, 
But then we just get a lot of gags, like Pinky thinks he's turning the safe combination, yeah. but it's like a stereo that stereo. won't stop playing music yeah. no matter what. He like smashes this thing to pieces and just won't stop. I just it was a part of me that's like at one point when it was fully smashed on the floor and it was still just blaring music, I was like, I, I don't think I laugh. I just went, Jesus Christ! Like, <laughs> yeah. what the fuck? Uh, and we get the mirror gag, which yeah. goes on for quite a while, but it's very good. Like I imagine it was like. I, they never really cut away Mm-mm. so it's just like really impressive one shot yeah. thing where it's just like he's mimicking him and lots of fun moments where he ducks out and comes back with something different but he's already predicted that it yeah. was going to be different somehow so it's a really fun sequence for sure and then they switch places yeah walking the, through the, the mirror yeah uh yeah when they when they both walk and it's very very uh looney tunes-esque yeah. and, and they, like that the kind of go off on tangent it was imitated several times by bugs bunny yeah by mickey mouse by tom and jerry in movies the square peg the pink panther even mm-hmm. and even an episode of the x-files they do that oh really yeah yeah because i i i didn't want to like say one way or the other but i didn't know what the timing of everything was i don't know if this is like looney tunes first and then this or if this and then looney tunes because i feel like like this mirror gag is like so you've seen it in so many different yeah. things like, and it wasn't even the first time it was done yeah I, 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 there's like a whole segment on it on like the wikipedia yeah. article that's like uh it's like well there was a mirror gag in this movie from like 1917 yeah. and then this movie from 1921 but regardless of whether it's quote unquote original yeah. or not it still is very impressive mm-hmm. like the one take aspect of it and pinky does a pretty good job until everything starts breaking down which I think it's supposed to have like yeah. perfectly imitating him and stuff. Like it's pretty impressive. Yeah. Uh, so, and I was, I did, I did pause it and rewind because this part is also just all silent. Yeah. Um, I thought maybe I used, I was using Bluetooth headphones. Mm-hmm. I was like, shit, did my headphones go out? Yeah. And like, I, I rewound it to a part with sound and sound was working. So I was like, Oh, this is just all silent. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of a, again, just, I don't talk about it enough on the show, but as a first time watcher, I literally paused the film and went, shit, are my headphones broken? Because it's just dead silent. Mm-hmm. There's not even like any foley of them like creaking yeah. around or anything like that. It's just a really interesting choice. It makes you kind of focus on the physicality yeah. of it in a weird way. Uh, Chico's in court. You get a goofy mm-hmm. court scene. L- lots of wordplay. Yeah. Uh, it, it's just a fun scene. And again, what the analysis I watched, analysis I watched was very much like, this guy is just giving favor to his friends and letting him off the hook, even though he's tried to steal war secrets. He's just being like goofy and nice mm-hmm. to him. Although there's there's like multiple parts where he's like, "You're gonna you're gonna go to something for eleven years, or rather, no, you're gonna go to eleven for twelve years, yeah. or and lot lots of like wordplay." Yeah, I actually um, have this on here. It's sure. Like, uh, uh, gentlemen, Ciccolini here may talk like an idiot, look like an idiot, but don't let that fool you. He really is an idiot. <laughs> I implore you, send him back to his father and brothers who are waiting for him open arms in the penitentiary. <laughs> I suggest that we give him 10 years in Leavenworth, or 11 years in Twelveworth. <laughs> and Chico's like, I'll tell you what I'll do, I'll take 5 and 10 at Woolworth. <laughs> which uh, was a department store. <laughs> uh, one of the jokes that didn't land for me was the pair of plans joke. Oh. He's like, actually, I did this in a pair of plans. Yeah, I, was I was like, like um, I was like, that's a weird uh, that that one didn't quite land for me. Uh, but yeah, the, uh, I, I, the the one of the jokes that did work for me though was like, I say we send him back to his father and brothers in the penitentiary. Like, yeah. 
it leads you to believe he's going to let him off the yeah. hook and send him back to his country. But then he says, in the penitentiary. <laughs> and it's just like a fun little left turn that that took. But from here, it just like kind of all just spirals Best out place, of control yeah. where Teasdale bursts in and she's like, we're going to make one last attempt to make peace. I've gotten Trentino to come down. And Firefly's like, yeah, you know what? I'll offer him the right hand of, of forgiveness or whatever he says. He's like, but then suppose he turns my hand away. <laughs> suppose he spits in my face and he just alone gets himself completely worked up so that when Trentino walks through the door, he goes, how dare you not shake my hand? <laughs> slaps him across the face. Trentino's like, this means war, which again was another like Looney Tunes thing. It's like the very like info. I read it was like, maybe this wasn't the first instance of that phrase, but the phrase is like iconic. It's like, this means war. Yeah, between Bugs uh, and Daffy. Uh, so, I mean, that's very, uh, it didn't even like, it's so ingrained in our culture. It didn't even like, bump me when he said it yeah. i didn't think like oh this was like maybe one of the first times someone ever said this in a movie but basically firefly gets his country into war mm. and from he does a they do a big ass war song yeah. huge elaborate war song the kind of shit that you that's like very uh like my go-to touchstone is like hail caesar yeah. which i think the coen brothers did a really good job of capturing the vibe of these types of mm -hmm. movies and because the studio system was so huge you could have these sequences with just dozens and dozens of people in elaborate costume dance yeah. numbers. You don't really on these big you know, sound stages. Yeah, it's very rare to see this kind of stuff anymore. Yeah, and the sound stages it's worth mentioning. Um, like in terms of like uh, the filmmaking aspects of this film, like the cinematography is fine. Yeah. Um, it's it's very like old movie. Like the camera's just kind of mostly away. Mm -hmm. Like occasional gags though, like with the camera, yeah. especially like the shoe shot. Yeah. It's mostly just like. They're concerned with like it reminds me of watching like old westerns where they're just like get everything in frame so we can see what's going on and like yeah. that's what's that's how they shoot pretty much everything mm -hmm. but the stages are very good and elaborate and you can tell they're sound stages but you know like like they're well made yeah. and again you don't really see that kind of stuff anymore and even like modern musicals like maybe like la la land with like the freeway sequence yeah. you rarely see dance numbers like this so it's, it's it, it definitely stands out but they're all hyped to go to war uh, and then just like a pretty, the last part of the movie is just like this war sequence that just gets more and more yeah. out of control. It's impossible to tell what, like Pinky, like does, he rides off, like, uh, they're Paul doing Revere. A, yeah, they're doing like a Paul Revere parody yeah. out of nowhere. He's like, one light, it's by sea, two lights by land. And then like three lights yeah. light up. He's like, I've been betrayed. They're coming <laughs> by sea and land. <laughs> like, uh, and like people were pointing out how, uh, Firefly's outfit changes. Yep. Like it gets like more and more like old or old timey as it goes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, this whole sequence is just like random war stuff. Maybe one of the most standout bits for me is uh, he finally takes up a gun and starts shooting. He's like, "Yeah, look at him! They're running like rats!" And then Zeppo's like, "Hey, sir!" And he's like, "Sir, I have to tell you something." What? He's like, "Those are your own men you're firing on." He's like, "I like the time. This joke timing. The joke is really good because Zeppo finally gets out like." Those are your own men you're firing on, and uh, Groucho fires off like one yeah. more round where he's just like, K -k -k -k, and he goes, "Oh, and like it's like I said, that's that's good." He's like, "Here, take this five, keep it under your hat." And he's like, "No, I better get put it under my hat." Yeah, he like he goes to pay him off, not to tell people, and then he still keeps the money. Yeah. Just like very like crystallization of just absolute war, despot, scumbag, mm. awfulness. Like, and yeah, and it's it Chica's around. Pinky's around, Zeppo's around. I, I did enjoy that 
the it was a lot of the four of them were kind of just yeah. it's like one of the only parts of the movie where it's just the four of them together which is just knowing that they're the marx brothers is fun yeah like it's like oh they're all four together mm-hmm. yay um miss teasdale's around yeah they're doing a lot of gags with like send help we've got four men here and and one woman actually send help or maybe maybe three women yeah or, <laughs> i think it's three men and one woman he's like send help or two women and then like harper like makes a motion he's like make that three women make that three women and it's just like oh, that's funny uh missed the paul revere gag where uh harpo like sneaks into the, this woman's house and it ends it's up being the, the peanut salesman yeah, guy and just like this guy can't catch a fucking break uh, <laughs> and then like funny gag where he like comes out of the bathtub yeah. or whatever but is there anything like like uh I'll, I'll, I'll wrap up the story and then we can talk about any of the war gags that you liked the most but so basically they're at war seems like they're losing they're getting bombed and shit but then there's like this one last charge and like Trentino is there yeah. and he gets like stuck in the door. Yeah, and that's and, how they win. And so they're just like, uh, Trentino, surrender. And he's like, I surrender. And they're like, we win the war. And then well, just he surrenders because like, they just keep throwing fruit at him. Yeah, and then she, uh, Mrs. Teasdale starts singing and they start throwing shit at her. Yeah. And then that's just like the end of the movie. Uh-huh. They're just like, yep, we won. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of stuff happening with the war gags, but I didn't know if like, that's pretty much the end of the movie. So uh, anything that we didn't touch on now would be a great time to bring up if there's anything that we passed over that you wanted to talk about uh like uh in that final scene they uh groucher talks about like how we have a man out there coming the countryside for volunteers and yeah it's just harpo with a sandwich board sign <laughs> yeah <laughs> walking through the battle yeah with like join the army and see the navy and he's just <laughs> <laughs> and then like they i think they do it two or three times where like a mortar shell just bursts through the window, flies straight across, and bursts right out the door. Yeah. And miss him totally. And then <laughs> at the end, Groucho just pulls down a shade to really stop. Oh, there was a really funny gag where uh, Harpo is like out on the battlefield and someone shoots his Napoleon hat and it spins. Yeah. And then a guy comes out with a machine gun and starts firing and the hat just starts helicoptering. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, that's pretty funny. Like, I think I chuckled when that <laughs> happened. <laughs> There's a weird gag with like a water vase where it gets like stuck on firefly's head he's like somebody needs to help me and they just paint groucho's face <laughs> on the pot and he's like the last time this happened i was under a bed <laughs> which means he got a uh, chamber pot stuck on his head yeah gross i, I didn't put that one together <laughs> uh, those are the times <laughs> yeah and then uh there's one where uh they do like eeny meeny miny mo. yeah yeah, and Chico Ch- starts just eating, like it's not eeny meeny miny yeah. but it's the old time version of it. And he goes all around, and then he ends up on himself. And he's like, "No, no, no! I need to start here." And he does it again, <laughs> and ends up on himself again. And he's like, uh, "All right, uh, one more time." And then he starts it and just goes right to Harpo. Like, yeah. You get to do it. They're like, "Oh, brave sacrifice!" And don't mind that we're all going to be back here laughing at you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Fireflies line is remember while you're out there risking your life and limb through shot and shell. We'll be in here thinking what sucker you are. <laughs> Which is just very, yeah, and like, and we already talked about it a lot, but I do, I do find the political commentary mm-hmm. of the film to be one of the stronger aspects yeah. of it because just like everything he does, just it is such a like a good send up of like the awful shitty things mm-hmm. that like bad leaders and even dictators do, the the selfishness yeah. and you know killing his own people, sending them out, saying like, oh, we're gonna laugh at you while you're gone, like. Instead of like asking for plans or backup or having like any idea what he's doing, you're just kind of like, 
send some women so we can hang out with them. Yeah. And just like absolute scumbag shit. And then he just still ends up kind of winning yep. in the end. Yeah. So it's just, uh, it's like, I don't know from, like I said, I would have been totally fine with him eating it. And, uh, and you know, I'm sure there's like, you can do an analysis. Like if I was back in college, you could do an analysis of like Chico and, uh, pinkies like the fact that they flip flop sides so many mm-hmm. times like I'm sure there's a lot to read into there like in yeah. that end scene uh, Chico comes back and he's like I thought you defected and he's like the food's better over here yeah <laughs> but then they go to like Teasdale and start eating like all her food at yeah. one point because she like looks away like when they do it just like dramatically um, but yeah they really do she, she ends up playing like uh, her and I'd say Trentino end up being the main straight men in the movie and, and Zeppo gets to do a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. So is there any other thoughts before we, I didn't warn you, but did say you listened to an episode before, unfortunately for you. Uh, <laughs> feel bad for anybody that goes through my show. I'm just kidding. I just like self-deprecating humor. <laughs> my show, I like doing my show. It's fun. Uh, but we do do ratings. Although I don't, if you don't have, if you don't want to give the film a rating, that's totally fine. And then we'll do recommendations at the mm-hmm. end here. But before we do ratings, is there anything else you want to say about duck soup? Uh, like, I'll just go through some of the reception at the time. Oh, like, sure. It was not uh, revered well at the time. Right. Because it wasn't up to the par of, like, Horse Feathers. Yeah. Or Monkey Business. And now it's considered their finest film. Yeah, it's it's so weird how that works sometimes. And, like, the, the satire is on par with Charlie Chaplin's The Great Dictator. Mm-hmm. And then Kubrick's Dr. Strangelove. Yeah. And, like, it's got put in the Library of Congress in 1990. Yeah. AFI ranked at number 85 on their best, highest movies and number five on their 100 laughs. Wow. And it influenced Woody Allen twice because like uh, in his movie Hannah and Her Sisters, uh, Woody Allen's character is contemplating suicide the whole time. And what keeps him from doing it is he happens to go see Duck Soup. <laughs> and he's like, oh, well, this makes life worth living now. <laughs> and then in his movie Bananas, uh, Woody Allen plays a, it's like a humorous rise of an unlikely dictator which he says is like a spiritual sequel to Duck Soup. Interesting. And then the Beatles also claim it was influenced for their movie Help. Oh. And then, like I mentioned earlier, the the dictator, Sasha Baron Cohen's, um, like the AV Club noted that the uh, Sasha Baron Cohen's character and Rufus D. Firefly share the same bloodline, representing a more generalized contempt for the world leaders of any stripe, whether they don a supreme beard or grease paint mustache. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, I can see this is definitely one of those movies where I can see the influence that it's had on even to this day because yeah. it just everything begets itself. You know, like this movie, and like I, I always think of things in almost like twenty-year chunks, mm-hmm. which is why I think it's so easy to pair. Like I, I see the parallels between the '30s to the '50s to the '70s to the '90s. Because it's like the people that saw movies in the 30s became the people that were making films in the mm-hmm. 50s, and then same same kind of cycle, yeah. you know. So it's like you see something when you're in like your teens or your early 20s, and then once you get in your 40s and you get to actually make stuff. So you saying like, oh, Woody Allen was influenced by this. It's like, and bringing up the Beatles is one of my favorite examples of like so many bands were inspired by the Beatles. So yeah. people that like certain bands of uh, last couple decades. Those bands were influenced by bands that were influenced by the Beatles, yeah. and it all like kind of is just interesting thing that's building upon itself. Mm-hmm. But like, and that's why it's always so interesting to go back to some of the original original stuff and like see what 
holds up, see what has still made makes it through to the stuff today. Yeah. And you know, like sometimes the original is the best, and sometimes I do think the natural evolution of it, whether it's because of just having more of a modern sensibility or more maybe the more ADD nature of today. Like I do like slow cinema, but I kept saying I've said on like multiple episodes where I've covered French New Wave mm-hmm. that I prefer like Wong Kar Wai and his style of like he clearly was heavily influenced by French New Wave, but he's making movies in the nineties and I actually find those a lot more like palatable and easy to watch and those hit me a little harder yeah. than like stuff like Breathless and things like that. Mm-hmm. But you know, Breathless is like I can see how breath like I always tell people True Romance is one of my favorite movies of all time, but I see the DNA of True Romance in Breathless and I understand how you go from Breathless to True Romance, but I just thought Breathless was fine. Yeah. And I say True Romance is one of my favorite movies of all time, mm-hmm. but I still appreciate stuff like Breathless. And so as far as Duck Soup goes, like I, I, I see the DNA of a lot of things and I really do appreciate it. Is this a film I'm gonna be rewatching a ton? I don't yeah. think so. I haven't even rated it yet on Letterboxd because I'm not sure what to give it just regular. Um, but if people tune into my show, they know on my show, I have a grading curve. and it, So it's going to seem like I'm being a little hard on movies. But for example, I, I, my very first episode, I gave The Godfather an 8.5 out of 10. That's a 10 out of 10 movie for me. I think it's yeah. one of the greatest movies of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, it, one of the few times a movie fully lived up to the hype. Yeah. Like I was like, people say this is one of the greatest films of all time. How can it possibly live up to that? You watch it and you're like, oh shit, yeah. <laughs> this movie is like one of the greatest movies of all time. I gave that an 8.5. So what does that mean for Duck Soup? That's tough. I really appreciate how short it is. Yeah. <laughs> I think that that goes a long way. I think if this was like a like a even a 90 minute movie, I would maybe give it like a five. But because it flies by so fast and it is so watchable and because the political commentary is still unfortunately quite relevant today yeah. which i think is what the best movies do they stay relevant because mm-hmm. humanity just repeats itself unfortunately um i'm gonna give it a six and that's not the greatest score ever but yeah. it's not like i'm not I'm, yeah it's a six yeah. so for for the purposes of my show i'm gonna give it a six out of ten um i don't ask my guests to be beholden to my weird <laughs> fucked up grading curve like you can feel free to give it whatever you want or if you feel uncomfortable rating it you can abstain either way is fine you know like I don't, I don't rate things. I don't, yeah. Do I like it? Yeah. All right. I, I do think like the only reason I give stuff numbers is because I know people like numbers. Yeah. Uh, but I do, I, I really appreciate stuff like, like Red Letter Media is one of my favorite YouTube channels. And it, speaking of stuff that has influenced stuff, like your favorite YouTube channel audience I'm speaking to right mm-hmm. now was influenced by Red Letter Media. <laughs> they were. And like, if you, if the, even if, even if they have more subscribers than Red Letter Media mm-hmm. does now, like they grew up watching red letter media and they're like star Wars prequels videos and were influenced by them. Um, and they don't do ratings. They just say, do you recommend it at the end of the show? And mm-hmm. I do think that's the best system. Mm-hmm. Do I recommend watching duck soup? Absolutely. Yeah. hundred percent. Like at least once, mm-hmm. like even if you don't like it that much, there's so much to appreciate. Yeah. And also, you know, if the humor is for you, then it's really going to hit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, it's, it's a classic for a reason. It's, it's in the library of Congress or whatever yeah. the hell it's called for a reason. Like it's not just been arbitrarily propped up because yeah. you just go, oh, it's the Marx Brothers. You gotta yeah. appreciate the Marx Brothers. Like they're doing good shit mm-hmm. here. Um, it's super worth watching. Um, I forgot to prep you for this because I'm always so bad about it. <laughs> but I, I, I usually ask people for like a recommendation at the end of the show, 
and it can be pretty much anything. The idea behind it being that because I'm covering some of the most well-known classic films of all time, I like to have people throw out a suggestion for something they think is maybe a little bit off the beaten path. And usually we do movies, but I've been accepting video games and music and anything. If uh, and, and guest, I is there like a sort of obscure thing that you really wish people would check out that comes to mind for you? Uh, there's a band that I discovered several years ago. They're called the Breakers DK. Okay. They're they're Dutch, so that's why they had to put DK in it. But <laughs> they're they like take influences from like the Stones and the Faces, who was Rod Stewart's first band. And they're really great. They have I think less than a thousand listeners on Spotify. Wow. So I like I pride myself on oh, you probably haven't heard them. But like, <laughs> like I showed my dad them and he did a had a great response to it and I was like, Oh, well, interesting. Right. Yeah, but like in the vein of movies, just go watch Charlie Chaplin, Buster Keaton, Laurel and Hardy. Sure. Like they were influential at their time for a reason. Yeah. Like you'll see stuff that like Looney Tunes and Disney copied and like, oh, that's where that came from. Yeah. And I think it'll make you laugh more because they were genuinely, they created it. Yeah. And like, well, they're masters of the craft yeah. too. Um, I just, uh, yeah, I'm excited to dive into that stuff. Cause like I said, I've seen clips. Mm -hmm. I've seen like that. I think it's a Charlie Chaplin movie where it seems like he's skating around and he's about to go over the edge. Yeah. And I've seen like the behind the scenes of like how they created that. Mm -hmm. It's like really brilliant stuff, but I would love to see, you know, the context yeah. for what this is all happening in. Cause I've seen that one screenshot from the, the great dictator yeah. where he's laying on the desk mm -hmm. with like the globe. Yeah. I've seen that a million times. I have no reference for what is yeah. going on in the film. And it's also pretty wild because it's like, that's like what a 1920s movie. Um, it's, I think it was, more towards World War Two, because yeah. it was a direct uh, satire of Hitler. Of Hitler, yeah. But and, it is interesting to like see, because like Chaplin was famous before Hitler was yeah. famous. So like, especially the dispute of the mustache yeah. is so fascinating to watch. Where it's like, like I, I want to say people have said that Hitler was influenced by Chaplin to maybe do that mustache, but subsequently now we think of it as a Hitler mustache. Yeah. Uh, it's it's like kind of just yeah, wild. It's also an Oliver Hardy mustache. He also had it from <laughs> yeah. Oliver Hardy. I mean, it's just a style back yeah. then. The toothbrush uh, mustache. <laughs> uh, I feel bad because I, I didn't come up, I didn't come prepared with a recommendation myself. I, uh, like, I want to do something that's like a satire or I guess maybe even a war movie. And nothing's like popping up in my head. Like all I, all I, it makes me all want to just, all I can think of is stuff I've watched recently, but those are stuff I've, done episodes on for the show i mean so. if you want more specifics from me like uh the great dictator of course modern times are both charlie chaplin uh, gold rush okay buster keaton the general that's his main key one okay and then laurel and hardy is like way out west i think is the one that i saw like i have a bunch of shorts but i think yeah i think you know since i'm so woefully ignorant of this kind of era of film I think just getting the recommendations from you, yeah. I think go a long way. Cause these are just all movies that are on my to-do list yeah. that I really want to watch. Like, I, I feel like especially the great dictator seems like a real slam dunk yeah. recommendation for people. And if you, if you missed out on this era of film, because maybe you're afraid that it's too old or too slow for mm -hmm. you, like 
you know, give it a chance. Like I definitely didn't hate watching this. Yeah. Like it wasn't a slog by any means. Like, and it's, I found it very informative and I found the satire to be still very relevant and on point. I'm sure the great dictator, even though it is like going after a very specific figure, yeah. like unfortunately there's tyrannical people in this day and age yeah. and you'll be able to see shades of that. I'm sure in the performance. So, you know, go back and watch the old stuff and, you know, and I, I never understand people that are like afraid of like black and white mm -hmm. stuff because it's like, I love it more because they didn't have all the CGI, so you had to pay attention. To yeah, the story. I love black and white. Like, if when modern movies find a decent excuse to do it, I still love it. But I watched uh, for the show Alphaville recently, mm -hmm. and that's like a very gritty, uh, it's like a mid 60s movie, but it's in black and white, and the stark contrast of like the really dark darks of the shadows mm -hmm. and stuff is just really really memorable um you know i love i love the look of black and white i don't find it distracting at all um i sometimes i, I love the look of film too yeah. it's just it's like this film looks really good like they definitely did a good job preserving it mm -hmm. whatever version i the version i watched had the universal logo at the yep. beginning of it uh and it did two different ones like mm -hmm. universal 100 years and it did the dun, 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 mm -hmm. and then i was like double logo yeah. uh but yeah definitely check out everything that tyler recommended check out the breakers dk yep breakers dk always always fun to recommend music like especially like low uh there's a i'll, I'll throw in one i'll throw in a random one because you know what the way i found them was through black and white this has nothing to do with the topic of of the movie but there's a band i really like called upsent u-p-s-e-n-t um, they have a they have a music video called I think it's called Killing Time, and it's shot like a like a noir movie in black and white. Mm -hmm. I think the music video is gorgeous. I love the song. They don't seem to have a lot of views on YouTube. Yeah. Don't even remember how the fuck I ever <laughs> found them. Uh, but the Killing Time music video rules, and I love that song. So I guess check that out. Mm -hmm. There's a random recommendation for you. I never recommend music. I'm so woefully ignorant of music. Like I just I go through little phases and mm -hmm. stuff, but. Definitely check out Breaker, Breaker's D DK. Yeah. And Just, if you're at Ball State, go take Wes Gehring's classes. Yes. Uh, if you want to read about Depression-era clowns, read Wes Gehring's book. Uh, uh, he's not on Twitter or Facebook. Good. But just, uh, follow <laughs> good, good Wes Gehring in person if you want to. <laughs> he's at Ball State. <laughs> How do you spell his name? Uh, Wes, W-E-S, and then Gehring is G-E-H-R-I-N-G. All right. Yeah, if you guys are a ball, if anybody's thinking about taking some classes, sounds like this guy fucking rules. Yep. Um, do you have anything you'd like to plug here at the end of the show? Uh, I write, but I never produce anything, so I don't. Have <laughs> That's sad. I mean, writing is it's is like very fucking hard. Yeah. Uh, it, it's I'm currently struggling with it myself. Like, yeah. I wrote a screenplay during quarantine, and I still have I haven't finished typing it up yet. Yeah. Like I've been setting aside time every day to do it, and I seem to only make it through like a page, and I'm just like, well. That's enough of that for today. Yeah, I don't have energy or patience. <laughs> to just... It's hard, man. Uh, but yeah, and you know, if you guys ever, I'll do a, a little mini self plug. If you want to see what Tyler looks like, he's in uh, my short film on my YouTube channel. I can't remember the name of my own <laughs> film. Well, it was just interesting because like we played with the idea of silence. Yeah. And there's even a moment where you guys watch a movie and it's a silent era mm -hmm. movie because of the concept of the movie. I, I like the idea that because of what happened in the world, silent films make like a huge comeback, yeah. which is why I did that. It wasn't just because it's royalty free, but that, that was part of it. Uh, Are you um, going to look it up? Yeah, <laughs> I am. 
That's so insane that I can't <laughs> no. remember the name of it. The last word. The last that's word. why I got confused. Yeah. Because I'm trying to make a movie called Three Little Words, but this is called The Last Word. Um, and yeah, it was fun. I got to go to the local film festival with it, mm-hmm. and my family saw it, and it was fun. Uh, so go check that out. You can see Tyler and Kristen, both awesome people. And also give me a view on YouTube. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> but Tyler, thanks so much for joining yep, thank me. Thank you. Uh, thanks so much for recommending Duck Soup. It's finally, it's nice to finally start cracking into this era of film. I can come back and do more if you want. Yeah, I think this is gonna this is gonna maybe start a chain where I start checking out more of this stuff because it just feels good to have a better understanding for these directors. Like now that I feel like I, I want I watch more Marx Brothers films, but at least I understand what their deal is yeah. now, and I need to watch a Chaplin film mm-hmm. so I can like really understand what his deal is. Yeah. Um, and it just feels so much better to be like, yes, I have yeah. seen a Marx Brothers film. Like, again, there's no shame. The whole point of doing the show was because I missed all these yeah. films or whatever, but it is just like when you say stuff like, oh yeah, you know, I haven't seen Dr. Strangelove mm-hmm. and it's obviously a point of reference for this film. Yeah. And so I'm just like, yeah, yeah, Dr. Strangelove, <laughs> totally. I know it's like a political satire, but I've never seen it. And yeah. so I don't really know what to say when people bring it up and I, I need to knock that off the list. Yeah. But yeah, I'm getting long-winded. I'm going to wrap up the show okay. as I thank you guys so much for joining us. And as I always say at the end of every episode, unfortunately, I will catch you all on the flip-flop later. Bye, guys. Bye.